Ladies and gentlemen, hey now, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line. We are back. Oh, we're so back. We're so back. We've been gone for a week, and I know you've missed me. I know you've missed me, but here we are. Don't you worry. Always glad to be here. Make sure you share this with your family, your fan, friends, um, your big fat granny with the hole in her panties. Whatever you got going on, hook that up, by the way. Got a little bit of a new uh, camera quality here as well, uh, which I'm really digging. But on the more important things, first of all, Joe Biden today at the United Nations giving a speech. And anytime our president, <laughs> wink, wink, Quotation marks for those of you that are listening to the audio. Our president is speaking on a world stage. It makes us all nervous, let's be honest. Because you know disaster is just right around the corner. That at any moment, Joe Biden's geriatric brain will break and something bad will happen. Well, rest assured, that happened today as well. Simply put, the 21st century... 21st century results are badly needed. They're needed to move us along. That starts with the United Nations. Starts right Yeah, whatever that means. So that was pretty much the entirety of the speech uh, for Joe Biden today. Uh, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Nobody understood. Everybody just nodded their head and watched him aimlessly shuffle off the stage, asking for directions on where to go. The leader of of the free world, like this, this is the most powerful position that can be held by anybody, in 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 on the planet, and this is the guy. I mean, this is bigger than just the rest of the world laughing at us. This is dangerous. Something I pointed out on the radio show today is the sheer danger that we find ourselves in today. It's it's a dangerous place. To know that that guy's calling the shots. To know that we have weakened ourselves, whether it's draining the strategic oil reserves or record high inflation or sponsoring wars around the world like Ukraine and Russia, we are not safe. We are probably less safe now than we were on September 10th, 2001. And I'm not just saying that. We are literally in that vulnerable of a position. And all the while, our government is coming after us. Instead of the government trying to protect you, they're coming after you. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. First, let me tell you about our boys over at Wild Hair Jerky, who's bringing you this portion of the show. Wild Hair Jerky, my favorite beef jerky on the planet. That's right. Love me some wild hair jerky. Here's what I need you to do. Again, they're sponsoring this podcast, but they're not quite open. They're almost there, ladies and gentlemen. But the only way for you to get your hands on this beautiful, delicious beef jerky is to go to this Facebook page right here. You hear me? Look, they got some swag. They got everything going on. Go to this Facebook page, and I want you to click the like button. You see it right there? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Right there, this button right here. Click that, and that's going to uh, keep you in the loop. You're going to know exactly when they're ready to roll, 
and you'll be able to get this beef jerky shipped to you. This is They have a brick-and-mortar store, but it's not necessarily going to be nearby you, especially we're talking about a podcast where we're seen all over the world. So you need to get it shipped to you. Trust me, once you get this stuff, I've gotten the same reviews for everybody else. I'm not just saying that because Brian's my friend and everything. I'm telling you, I've heard nothing but good things about this beef jerky. And I always have wild hair jerky on standby. Look at me. Look. One bag, two bags, three bags. I've got a bag in my backpack. Cole, come on. Actually, this is my extremely hot stash, which I know is safe from everybody else because I've got, uh, what do we got here? Ghost pepper. Ghost pepper right there. You see it? You see it? There's a camera. Camera's not going to show it. Uh, I've got my Dream Reaper, Carolina Reaper, and that's the Unholy Trinity. That's Ghost Pepper, Scorpion Pepper, and Carolina Reaper. You don't want none of that. You want some of the other flavors because all that's for me. Wild Hair Jerky, make sure you go like the page. Please, if you do anything as a result of this, go to like the Wild Hair Jerky page. Swing on over there. Wild Hair Jerky, H-A-R-E. Wild hair jerky, like a like a rabbit, like a like a um the rabbit, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, so in the sense of this country being in danger, you know that's one thing. But to have the government simultaneously come after us, American citizens, is fascinating. And of course, I'm referring to January the sixth. Ever since January sixth, they have made it their mission to go after a certain type of people. What's the one common denominator among all the people that have been, you know, under assault by the DOJ for January 6th? Well, they're all supportive of one political candidate that just happens to be the political opponent of the guy that's running the DOJ. You see how that works? And so... We've all had questions about January 6th from the moment it happened. And on this podcast and on my radio show, we have hammered this point home. And I've investigated January 6th probably more than I've ever investigated anything before. Because from the day it happened, something did not set right. We've talked to the QAnon Shaman on this podcast. If you have not seen that, I encourage you to go watch it. He's a he's a little bit of a, a talker, but interesting nonetheless. One of the big questions from January 6th was this Ray Epps guy. Ray Epps, who was on the front lines of January 6th, he was mysteriously missing from all the all the prosecutions. Now in the immediate aftermath of J6, he was on the most wanted list. On You know, they had the posters, like the Wild Wild West. They had these people on posters. And they were like, if you've seen this guy, we're offering a reward. He tried to subvert democracy. Ray Epps was on there. And people started pointing it out. They're like, well, there's that guy. Like, we know where that guy is. And then all of a sudden, they took him off the poster. And they lost all interest in finding the guy which everybody thought was bizarre because he was the one guy on video that was telling people to go to the Capitol the next day. 
on January the 5th. He was begging people to go to the Capitol. And then on January 6th, he was there leading people to the Capitol. Same thing. Let's go to the Capitol. Let's go to the Capitol. Take our country back. He was probably one of the biggest instigators in all of January 6th. At least as far as the crowd goes. So every, we've all been asking all along, why is Ray Epps not being prosecuted? Well, we assumed, we probably know, which is he was part of the getup. He was part of the gimmick, and he was probably working on behalf of the CIA or the FBI or something. Some sort of confidential informant, if you will, which those agencies use a lot of. I don't know if you've noticed. Nonetheless, we've just had to sit here on our hands and, and listen to the mainstream media who despises Trump supporters, but especially despises January Sixers, run cover for Ray Epps. That was the telltale sign. At that point, if you didn't believe this was an inside job on Ray Epps' part, nothing was going to convince you once the media started. Dr- oh, he's being attacked by conspiracy theorists. And Trump supporters have ruined this man's life. Oh, my God. That was it. You knew at that point. Well, all of a sudden today... We get word that the regime, the Biden regime, is all of a sudden charging Ray Epps. And I heard that. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's a strange turn of events. What are they charging him with? Well, they're charging him with one misdemeanor after being caught on video begging people to go to the Capitol. He's being charged with one misdemeanor as a matter of fact here's the um the original fbi poster just so you know what it looks like hashtag do you know they were looking for these people in the aftermath of j6 ray Epps, there he is right there at the steps whispering to people trying to get people convinced to go to the capitol then they lost interest then almost three years later they're like yeah 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 we're gonna charge ray Epps now they're going to charge. This is, it's almost like they're mocking you at this point. Count one, which is the only count, on or about January 6th within the District of Columbia, James Ray Epps Sr. did knowingly and with intent impede, intent, intent to impede and disrupt the orderly conduct of government business and official functions. Engage in disorderly and disruptive conduct in and within such proximity to a restricted building and grounds, that is, any posted, cordoned off, and otherwise restricted area with the United States Capitol and its grounds where the vice president was and would be temporarily visiting when and so that such conduct did in fact impede and disrupt the orderly conduct of government business and official functions and attempted and conspired to do so disorderly or disruptive conduct in a restricted or building grounds. Now, if I read that to you and I just said it was, you know, Joe Blow from Nebraska that was there on January 6th, and I asked you how many years are they going to give this guy, you'd probably say 20. And how many felonies are they charging him with, you'd probably also say 20. Ray Epps is getting one of those charges that they're filing as a misdemeanor. The evidence that Ray Epps was in on it just continues to pile up. And it's not just Ray Epps being just a little bit disruptive. 
Not only did he lead people to the Capitol, but he took part in throwing a giant Trump sign at police. There was a giant Trump sign floating through the crowd, and Ray Epps was on the backside helping push it into the police line as they were trying to break through the barricade. It's right here. Watch it for yourself. You can see the red circle pop up. And that's Ray Epps. He's on the backside of this thing. Here you go. There he is. Oh, yeah. He's right there. He's the main guy. Leading the way, baby. Ray Epps being proactive. Pushing it right into police. Man, you know what happened if you did that? You would have been arrested that day and charged with terrorism. So that's the guy that's getting charged with one misdemeanor. And that's on top of him whispering to people, hey, break down the barricade. Let's go. Let's get in there. Encouraging January 6th participants to charge the Capitol. That's Ray Epps. And the DOJ is performing theatrics to say, well, look at us. You said Reeves was part of us, but we're charging. We wouldn't charge him with a misdemeanor if he was part of us. Oh, really? It's it's insanity. And, and with that, it reminded me of a piece I'd been promoting from Laura Logan. Laura Logan has got a series that she just recently put out about January 6th defendants. And I think it's going to be several episodes, and she's releasing it on Twitter. And so I thought it'd only be appropriate with the new charges against Ray Epps uh, as to bring you some of her piece. Now, this is a little lengthy, but I encourage you to watch it, and you can go watch it on your own as well. But I thought it was important to share this with you guys right here on this podcast because it is it is a damning illustration of the human nature or really the inhumane nature of how the DOJ is treating American citizens. It's frankly sickening. So, again, I want you to watch this all the way through because it really tells you the truth about people that are still suffering because they were at the Capitol on January 6th. Matt called me on the phone that Monday after he got done speaking to his attorney, and he was sobbing, and he was stuttering uncontrollably. Like, I had never heard Matt speak this way before. And I said, Matt, don't worry. I'm crying on the phone with him. Don't worry. God is not going to let you fail. Jerry Perna was a constant in her nephew Matthew's life. Growing up in a tight-knit Italian family, she said they were always close. And she stayed close to him in the turmoil of his life after January 6th. The last word I said to him was, I love you. And he said, I love you too, Aunt Jerry. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost all your friends because of me. Matthew Perna's fate was sealed the moment his face appeared on this FBI wanted poster, his aunt said. Suspect number 73 stood out in his red Trump sweatshirt as cameras recorded him inside the Capitol, 
roughly 14 minutes that cost him his business, his reputation, and the woman he planned to marry. It also shattered the sanctity of home, where he was shunned and shamed by people he knew and others he'd never met. Jerry said he felt like the walls of Sharpsville, this small town of iron and steel that over the past century had forged four generations of their family in western Pennsylvania, were closing in. Then came the call that changed everything. I just stepped my foot in the tub and my phone rang and it was one of my brothers. I said, Jerry, you need to get a plane ticket and come home. Matt just hanged himself in his garage. Jerry Perna was a thousand miles away at home in Florida on that icy Friday night in late February 2022, when her nephew put a rope around his neck and took his last breath. She said he'd been at the mercy of the U.S. justice system for over 13 months. He was pushed to the point where he didn't feel life was worth living anymore. They robbed him of his spirit. They robbed him of his hope, his will to live. They took his fight away from him. They broke him. They completely broke him, and they broke his heart. And they knew what they were doing. Yes. Or at least that was how it felt. Stressful moments in Matthew's case would collide with stressful events in his life, Jerry said, like the hearing the DOJ scheduled for the anniversary of his mother Ronnie's death. As the pressure mounted, those watching over Matthew fretted. He had a friend who was a caterer. When Matt was a teenager, he used to work with him. That's how he got to know him. So he's older than him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, much older than him. He's a black gentleman. He's a very good friend of our families. Matthew loved him? Oh, yes. He loved him with all his heart. Different sides of the political arena. But it didn't matter to Matt. They were friends, and he prayed for Matt all the time. He encouraged him daily. And he told Matt, he said, I'm going to bring you some dinner. What time do you want me to come by? And Matt told him to come by around 5.30. And so he went there, and he went up to the porch, and there was a note on the door. What did it say? It said, I'm in the garage. Call 911. What did he do when he found him? He tried to cut him down, the rope. And actually, one of the police officers that was first on the scene was a friend of Matt's. And he, he tried so hard, giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation for the longest time, because Matt was still warm at that point. But he was gone. In a town of 4,500 people that spans less than two square miles, Matthew Perna's death reached into many homes. In his memory, more than 10,000 people signed the online guestbook. A man about to be sentenced in connection with the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol has died. Matthew Perna was from Mercer County. No cause of death given, but his family says he died of a broken heart. The stigma of January 6th hung like a dark shroud over the family. And Jerry said threats and hate mail started pouring in as if the politics of division that tortured her nephew in life followed him without mercy into the grave. Grace that was given to those who burned down businesses and buildings protesting George Floyd's death 
was not afforded to those protesting an election they believed stolen. The same Department of Justice that, according to the leftist Guardian newspaper, dropped or never filed charges against, on average, 90% of those arrested during the Summer of Love, went after hundreds of January 6th protesters like Matthew Perna with a vengeance. Jerry Perna let us see this note her nephew left behind, etched in his own hand. I sacrificed my freedom when I entered into the Capitol building on January 6th and in despair took my own life the night I wrote this. It was what the family had feared, and they leaned on Jerry as they often did, no one more so than her brother Larry, who'd already lost his wife, now his oldest son. It was heartbreaking. I experienced loss before when Matt's mom died. This was so much worse. And he wasn't suicidal before January 6th, no. before any of this happened. No. Matt brought people together. That's not a person who's suicidal. That's not a person who isn't enjoying life. It's a person who had a zest for life. And we watched it like a candle losing its flame over 13 months. We watched that candle die. Six years earlier, Matthew had given up a life teaching English in South Korea to come home, first to nurse his mother Ronnie through leukemia, then to help his father Larry battle Parkinson's. A devoted son and a wanderer, as these postcards attest, filled with memories and insight from distant lands. With his flair for languages, he had mastered Thai and was almost fluent in Korean. But his heart belonged to this country. A love affair that began when he was little. He loved this country, and this country destroyed him in many ways. Its citizens, the media, the government, they destroyed him like he was nothing. Do you remember the last thing he said to you, your last conversation? Yes. He had delivered the news about what they were going to be doing, how they were going to add enhancements. They were going to add time to his sentence, and he was having a hard time talking. He was um, having to clear his throat like he was choking, and he kept checking the rearview mirror of his car. He was very anxious. He had some restless nights and was actually coughing up blood that he had himself so worked up. From stress? From the stress. So it must have been difficult for you to see him like that? Oh my, yes. He r literally rotted away from the inside out. 43-year-old Marcus Priester grew up a stone's throw away from his friend in one of the five small communities that stretch across the Shenango Valley. He told us that unlike Matthew, he was a loner, and for him, the loss was beyond measure. I had so much anger in my heart, and I prayed for God to take that anger away. Yeah, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never fill that void. Best friend you ever had? Best friend I ever had. 
As opposed to it's a gift. I was blessed to be a part of his life. You know, he had many friends. I was just one of his. Marcus and Matthew found common ground in running, pushing each other along the muddy trails that weave throughout the rich green forest that lined the valley where they trained for ultra marathons. At times, Marcus said, Matthew would ditch his shoes. You didn't run barefoot with him? I tried it one time at a beach, and uh, it didn't go so well. But he would. He sure would, yeah. Why? He had a love for the nature, a love for the earth and all the elements. He wanted to feel it through his feet. Yeah, he loved to breathe it in and to be a part of it. These are not the actions of a weak person. No. This man has run 15 miles of mountainous trail and he ran it barefoot. I couldn't believe, I mean, his, he got back and we, we took a good look at his feet and they weren't looking too good. As they ran, Marcus said they would often talk politics. At first, Matthew did not share his support for Trump. Oh, we argued some and tossed it around quite a bit and I opened his eyes. We like Trump because we're open-minded and we're, we're all about looking outside the box and when you've got a guy that's stepping up against the establishment, he was the first political leader I ever heard talk about fake news. We love that because we knew there is an agenda. I, th I think everybody should know that by now. And if you're not walking in line with that agenda, look out. Some people would say, ah, oh, but he's a white supremacist mm. and a racist and he's divisive mm. and he's offensive and he's xenophobic and he's yeah. misogynist, treats women badly, unpresidential. Mm. It's a long list. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah, and a lot of it's, uh, I would say most of that is not true. Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States. The results of the 2020 election made no sense to either of them, Marcus said and drew them to D.C. on January 6, along with another friend, Stephen Ayers, then 38. They hoped Vice President Mike Pence would send contested results back to state electors for a closer look. It wasn't the first Trump rally Marcus had gone to with Matthew, and he told us the scene was familiar, the kind of crowd you'd find at any ball game. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard today. When they joined the sea of Trump supporters heading for the Capitol, Marcus said violence was the last thing on their minds. So what they found when they got there surprised them. There were people all around me and this crowd was forcing me forward. And it was, it was hard to, to move away. These were mostly, you know, larger, stronger men. I, I felt a military presence. A military-style presence. You know, I don't, I don't know who these people were. They, they didn't seem like the same kind of people that I was with at the rally. So there was a noticeable shift? Yes. In everything. In the energy. In the, the people that, are, that were there. Yeah. That happened the moment you reached the Capitol? Yes. He recalled being swept up. The crowd was so violent. And it went from just peaceful people... And all of a sudden, it was like people all around me pushing, 
and like forcing their way. And there were people coming out with tear gas. And I said, that's close enough. And I, I had turned back and I'd lost track of Matt. And I just, I take myself back to that day over and over. And I wish I could have grabbed him and, and made sure that he didn't go forth to, to go through that way. What lay ahead for Matthew is described in the notes an FBI agent took at his first interview a week later. He and his friend, Stephen Ayers, managed to stay together as they approached the Capitol from the west side. This was the scene outside the Senate wing doors less than 10 minutes before they entered the building. Perna stated there was no police presence at the top of the stairs, which surprised them. A mob of people started pushing their way into the doorway, pushing him inside the Capitol building. That's where we first see Matthew Perna in security camera footage, caught up in that mob of people. Now you can see a line of police blocking the entrance, and Matthew appeared trapped between those attacking them from behind and officers in front fighting back. He managed to wrestle the flagpole away and kept his arms mostly raised to protect his face from the hard edge of a police shield that struck him over and over. Somehow the use of unnecessary or excessive force was never raised in his case, and the DOJ would not comment when we asked, not until all January 6 cases are over. Once the mob burst into the Senate hallway, Matthew stayed a few minutes, at times filming, mostly observing. Police stood down, people wandered in and out, and the tension seemed to ease. Then according to the FBI case notes, an officer led them through the building. He was picked up briefly with Stephen Ayers on this police body cam footage we found as we tried to retrace his steps. After exiting on the south side a little after 3 p.m., it appeared Matthew walked this way, stopping at the Columbus doors, where we found him on camera again. By now, he seemed to be sucked into the unrest, first tossing a water bottle, then with a baton in hand. He then went on to the north side, where at one point he tossed a pole at a closed door. No police visible, no damage, but some regret expressed in a post on Instagram later, where he wrote, I foolishly allowed myself to get drawn into the negative energy emanating from that building. Matthew Perna was not charged with a violent crime, and in these email records from his case files, the assistant U.S. attorney, Nihar Mohanty, stated, there is no evidence that he causes any property damage or threatened anyone with the flagpole. From the start, Matthew saw things that did not fit the official narrative, and later that night loudly called out those he believed responsible. In this Facebook Live video, recorded with his friend Stephen Ayers and a woman they called Ash Lee. Antifa was disguised as Trump supporters today. Yeah. So Antifa wasn't walking around like they typically are, all dressed in black with their anti-fascist symbolism and their shield. Like they were disguised as Trump people. And they were the ones who really led the charge into the Capitol building. He had seen Antifa at Trump rallies before and identified tactics he felt exposed their presence. They were the ones smashing the windows and smashing on the doors and, and getting it into, into it with police. Um, and so they were the instigators, like they typically are, like that's how they operate. And so they were trying to bait the Trump supporters into kind of following their lead 
retaliating and letting a lot of their frustration out. Pundits, politicians, and the FBI denied Antifa had a role. Do you have any evidence that the Capitol attack was organized by, quote, fake Trump protesters? We have not seen evidence of that at this stage, certainly. They look like Antifa. But Matthew wasn't the only eyewitness who called out signs of trained instigators. These are people that love the cops. We love the police. But a few Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters have been causing violence and stirring up violence here at the Capitol steps. And they're playing on the emotions of you and every patriotic American. This is not right. For years, Trump supporters had been confronted by Antifa at many of their rallies. The menacing all-black uniforms, masked faces, and violent clashes, a constant threat from the moment President Trump was elected. So when masked men started smashing windows, protesters objected and stepped in to stop them, taking out this man first, then tackling another who'd stepped in to finish the job, while the crowd chanted. Time and again, protesters reacted with the same thought as Matthew Perna. And there were other indicators. In this footage from January 6, a plainclothes officer from the Metropolitan Police Department, badge briefly visible, was captured talking to a Capitol Police officer and told him... Well, we go undercover as Antifa in a crowd, so can you put that back in? And about two miles from the Capitol, a transgender left-wing activist, Logan Leslie Grimes, was one of three counter-protesters arrested that morning described by NBC News as Antifa. According to the police report we obtained, Grimes was charged with possession of an unlicensed firearm and unregistered ammunition that police said was found in the trunk of his car. Prosecutors dropped the charges and Grimes's family declined to comment. Then there's the case of Landon Copeland, an Iraq war veteran and convicted J6 prisoner who clashed with police and later claimed to be part of the secretive anarchist movement. In an open letter, he wrote, We are Antifa. We stand diametrically opposed to all centralized autocratic fascist governments. In this interview from prison, Copeland told Jim Hoft of the Gateway Pundit he was one of some 250 Antifa members who met in Alexandria, Virginia, the night before January 6th. Were you familiar with other Antifa activists who were there? Yes, absolutely. I don't want to go into any names or anything like this because I don't want to endanger their well-being. Okay. Yeah, there was there was meetings beforehand. There was text messages. There was Facebook messages. There was all kinds of stuff. Say, what made you uh, come out now and 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 come clean? It's been one of the rules for Antifa members to never declare to law enforcement that they're Antifa members. Like, it's actually really part of like. So far, no one has disputed Copeland's claims, but high-level Antifa members are not known to ever go public or support President Trump, as Copeland claimed he did. We reached out to Rose City Antifa in Oregon, where Copeland is incarcerated, and we're still waiting for a response. Matthew Perna knew none of this when he first spoke out about Antifa. And his world was about to change. 
First came Retribution from Facebook, who took his account down within hours. For someone whose work selling alternative health treatments depended on his online presence, this is your opportunity to invest in the growth of CBD. Being censored was a death blow. Then came the FBI. A week later, in the middle of the night, Matthew found out he was on the Bureau's website, and by 9 a.m. the next day, his Aunt Jerry said he'd called the FBI in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, to turn himself in. He didn't waste a minute, and so they sent two FBI agents to my brother's house. I said, maybe you need to get a lawyer, and Matt said, no, I don't think so. I think this is a misunderstanding, Aunt Jerry. I didn't do anything. I didn't break anything, I didn't touch anything, I didn't steal anything. Believe me, once I explain this, this is, this is all just a huge misunderstanding. That's how he felt. That's how he truly believed this was gonna play out. Matthew Perna wasn't known as a troublemaker. He'd rather spend his time in places like Haiti, doing volunteer mission work, or delivering alkaline water to cancer patients he'd never met because they couldn't afford the water filtration machines he was selling online. Aunt Jerry said he once gave up a job so an older man wouldn't lose his during a round of company layoffs. He made friends everywhere he went. He loved playing chess with old people in a park <laughs> and talking to them and learning about their life. And he just had this way about him that people opened up to him. Would he talk to anyone? Anyone. Matt didn't discriminate against anyone. He was just such a kind, kind person. Aunt Jerry told us she insisted on an attorney, and they went together to meet him. There was a Biden sign in front of his office. I said, Matt, this guy's a Democrat. He said, it's okay, Aunt Jerry, it's okay. Let's hear, let's hear what he has to say first. Let's not judge him. And he had 42 years of experience. And he said, oh, this is nothing. This is a piece of cake. He said, have you ever been arrested before? Matt said, no. I don't think you ever had a parking ticket or, you know, nothing. He said, you've got nothing to worry about. I've got this. What they were about to find out, how much politics rather than law would drive Matthew Perna's case and shatter the life he had built. So as you see here, this is a fascinating docu-series that I highly encourage you to keep up with, and we obviously will as well. But the heartbreaking stories of the individuals uh, of January 6th, what, what ultimately turns out to be victims. But it also highlights that Ray Epps is a microcosm of what really happened that day. That this was likely perpetrated by the government itself to cover up something the government had done two months earlier. Remember in the wake of, of November of 2020, the rush to get things done. And the inability for people to get answers, to double check, to recount, things of this nature that they just said, no, 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 you can't do it. We got to get this done. We got to get this certified. That was all by design. That was all for a reason. You weren't allowed the time to look into what happened in November of 2020. People started catching on. 
They needed a big event to take the attention away from what happened in that election. January 6th was that perfect distraction. And if it had to ruin the lives of people, in the lives of people, they were absolutely willing to do it. Just like the meat grinder of Ukraine, hundreds of thousands of people dying. But it's all for an agenda. It's all for money and power. They don't care about human life. They don't care about you. They don't care about anybody that was at the Capitol. They will spare no expense. Your life means nothing to these people. I got plenty to say on that front, and we'll get to it as we go along with newer editions of Over the Line. Don't forget to go like Wild Here Jerky, my dudes. And we'll be back with a brand new episode next time. Until then, see ya, cuz.